a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi. The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. All right, everyone. And good morning to you and a welcome to a live recording of a priest and a rabbi here at St. Mary's Episcopal Church. It's glad, really excited to have you all here. Um, and uh, my name is Father Christian here at St. Mary's Episcopal Church. I am the associate rector. Um, I am joined by two colleagues in faith. Uh, to my right, you probably already know Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Bet Hayam, which is right down the street, uh, literally right down the street, and we have uh, engaged in a radio show for about 300 episodes, and uh, our friendship has deepened through that, and you've also taught here, and you've actually invited me over to the temple to embarrass you thoroughly over there. Uh, to my left is the latest part of the dynamic trio. Um, and it has been an, a wonderful addition, and we've had a radio show already, two radio shows, with Sheikh Shafayat um, from Al Hikamat Services, and Sheikh, uh, had to, it was a long drive, a two-hour drive for him to be here this morning with us, and he is a very, so thank you. Very, very passionate, both men are very passionate about interfaith uh, work and interfaith ministry, uh, so for them, being here is not just to be an ambassador for their religion. It really is to be an ambassador and a spokesperson for the importance of interfaith work and our development as Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Uh, this is an important uh, uh, piece of how God calls us. Uh, so, Sheikh, it is, uh, um, and just to give a little more of an introduction to Sheikh, since you know a lot about Rabbi Durbin. Uh, so, Sheikh Shafayat, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off here. Sheikh is an imam, so you might be familiar with the imam. Um, it's funny, a side note, I had someone come up to me and mean, does that mean we're going to have a mom who's really good on the computer? She's an e-mom. I was like, no, actually that's not what's going to happen. We are going to have a Muslim leader, and they're called an e-mom. Um, but uh, Sheikh Shafayat is a sheikh, is a, a e-mom who teaches other e-moms. So we got graduate level imam here, and so we really, and, but, um, so tell us a little bit more about you, my friend, and about your ministry and um, the work of Al-Hikamat Services uh, down in Hollywood? Yeah. Down in Hollywood. Well, it is indeed a pleasure to be here, and I want to thank Father Christian for inviting me to be here with you all. It's a pleasure to be with, here with uh, Rabbi Matthew. Wonderful place, beautiful. It's my first time in this territory, so I do love it. So I feel very much at home and very comfortable. Um, don't want to waste much of the airtime. <laughs> but as um, Father Christian said, our work, we do what is called a lot of outreach services. Beside being the imam, the title sheikh, it's really a title given to people who are Islamic scholars. Um, an imam is one who leads the prayer, leads the services, and as uh, Father Christian said, we, we at the Darul Uloom Islamic Institute, we got that next door to the Al-Hikmat Services uh, building in Pembroke Pines to be exact. We educate people and graduate people to be imams. And um, the reason why we concentrated on that is so that people in this part of the world, in the West, can get a better perspective of true Islamic leadership. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, due to certain cultural background and cultural upbringing in the East, the Far East and the Middle East, a lot of people are sort of um, on that vision, so they keep their focus very confined. But our students are very broad-minded, and we try to encourage them to be very interfaith, very um, open. Because of them not having that exposure uh, in the East, the Far East, the Middle East, 
we unfortunately have had a lot of mishaps and that's where you have a lot of Islamophobia concept because of some of the things that Imams do there and I want to say that or Muslims or, or people but the concept of Imams now in the West generally speaking because of the exposure to multicultural multi-faith people you have a better understanding. People have a better understanding of interfaith, of Judaism, of Christianity. Whereas, unfortunately, they never had that exposure in their countries and their cities or towns that they live in. So, basically, in the Darul Uloom Islamic Institute, of which I'm the principal, uh, we educate people to be uh, imams and at the Al-Hikmat services, we do a lot of the dawah. Uh, what is inviting people to come together, outreach basically, inviting people to understand commonalities among human, humanity and different faiths and different religions. Brilliant. So uh, what I want to do today with us is, if we can in the short amount of time that we have, to really touch upon three things. Um, one is what binds us as, a, as Christians, Jews, and Muslims? Uh, what are our differences? Right? So, so if we have time to get a little bit into the, 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 the differences. Uh, and then finally, too, I think you, you leaned into it, is that it is a Islamophobia. And so I, I think our, our, our congregations here have heard a lot from Rabbi Durbin and I. We have the radio show. So we've talked about that. We've talked about anti-Semitism. Um, and, and so, but we haven't heard a lot about Islamophobia and what it's been like for you, brother, because you're, you're, you're an Abrahamic brother. And uh, I'm sh what, if we talked about that on the radio show and people were very interested in that. So if that's, that's where we'll be. And then we'll do a Q&A also at the end. Um, so, gentlemen, let, let, let's start with this. Why is interfaith work so important to you? Uh, I know that it's, it's a good thing to show. It kind of, sometimes it just looks good. It's interesting. It's curious. But beyond, from a spiritual formation aspect, you know, why is that something you want to preach and teach to your congregants, saying it's important for you to engage with Christians and Jews and for, for us all to engage with one another. Uh, you know, I, I speak with my congregation saying, it makes us stronger Christians. Uh, we learn what it means to follow the, the, Jesus says, to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. You two are my neighbor. So my Lord calls me to love you with my whole heart, you know, to love you um, as I love myself. Full period. No, no, no parenthetical statements, no except for, that's it. Um, and that, that's my job, is to love you. Um, and so that's the call of, of Jesus for, for me. So, uh, Derp, I'm calling you like I call you on the phone. We're good friends, so I call him Derby. Um, so, Rabbi Durbin, why is interfaith work so important to you? Because you were the first one, when I got here in Martin County, to spark the, the, the interest in interfaith work, because you were doing it and getting people together. You know, I think for me, I think for me it, it, it goes back... Um, it goes back to childhood. I grew up in a very large city. I grew up in a city that had um, quite a fair amount of Jews. And it was the, it was growing up in a Jewish household and being out in the world and hearing sometimes disparaging remarks that were said about my faith. And I guess it, it made me realize that not everyone understands what Judaism is about um, or what we profess or what we believe. Um, and I actually didn't really do anything with it when I was young or when I was in high school or even college. Uh, it really hit when I was in rabbinical school. Um, my college has been doing interfaith dialogue work for over 50 some odd years. They host a international conference every single year. Uh, in the past, it's been in Bendorf, Germany, just outside um, the former capital Bonn. Um, and they invite Jews, Christians, and Muslims. It's actually called JCM, uh, and they've had it for a long time. And Jews, Christians, and Muslims all come together in continental Europe, in Western Europe, in Germany, and they have an eight-day conference where we learn about one another. And I remember that, that first instance, uh, you know, 100 to 150, 200 people sitting in this, in this compound. I mean, it was huge, and we would explore each other's faith. And it was right when the Iraq War started happening. And there was a conversation, do we go, do we not go? What's the challenge? 
And I remember being there and, and interacting with, 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 we had Muslim services we attended, we had Christian services, Jewish services, and I remember thinking to myself, what, this is such power in knowledge. And I remember at the end of the conference, it's more taken from a Jewish um, perspective, and I remember being very out of my depth and out of my element. I'm North American. I've been trained as a rabbi in Europe. And now I, I was in a country that I never thought in a million years I would ever step foot in. I was in Germany. And it was the first trip I had ever taken into continental Europe. And I remember at the end, they were saying, what are your feelings, what are your thoughts, how has this been for you? And I said, again, this is a nation I never thought I'd be in. 75, 80 years ago, six million Jews died at the hands of the Nazis. I never thought I'd be back in this place. And I remember after, it was a, the term's gonna sound weird. It was a Muslim who was born in Germany, right? Much like we may say, I'm an American Jew or a Jewish American. And she said her ethnicity first. I am a Muslim who lives in Germany. I was born and raised here. And she goes, Rabbi, I'm really sorry. And I remember being taken back. She said, I'm really sorry, because I keep forgetting what it is like for others who come into this country that may be very distant and what the feelings may be. For the majority that were there, this is 21st century Germany. It is different. It is unified. It is, right? It's, it's a different country than it was in those bleak years of 33 to 45, or even possibly before, and possibly after. It's a different nation. And I remember when I boarded that plane and I went back to London and I thought to myself, that's the power of interfaith dialogue is that I could have a conversation with somebody that was very different from my own faith, but that had the mutual respect and the integrity to be able to engage in a conversation with me. There's much in our world today with Western religion that I think has been misinterpreted, has been misused, has been said in the name of God that is not true, and that we have much work to do. And I remember coming back, and I did this conference for four years, we were only required to do it once. I was very impacted. And I remember thinking to myself, why hasn't the United States or other countries aimed at trying to, and not in a regional or localized sphere, but on a national level? So fast forward many years later, I had a friend of mine who happened to be, he's the rabbi in Athens, Georgia, he did a podcast called God in the Grit. He only did about five or six episodes, but he worked with an Episcopal priest. And I remember being very moved. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, two people of faith to come together to talk about their similarities and differences who have mutual respect for one another, and you know what? Are also human beings and can poke fun at one another. <laughs> yeah. But isn't that, isn't that what it's about? I can learn from you, and Sheikh, I can learn from you, and we can go break bread together, and we can have very theological, stark differences. But it's not the differences that unite us. And you asked the very simple question at the beginning, what unites us? We are all from the same, I mean, no disrespect, father, right? We all come from Abraham. And if we were to even define that even further, we all come from God. So a part of me says, if we have that in common, that's the strength. And that's what I look towards. Yeah, so we'll get into that for sure, of how biblically we're all from the same family tree. We all come from the patriarch of Abraham. Uh, so, so, Sheikh, you yourself have, uh, you have a pretty diverse background. Uh, there was a time in your life where definitely... Uh, you could be in this chair wearing a collar at some point. Uh, so could t tell us more about that, which I think is probably fed into why you're so passionate about interfaith work. Well, um, yes, my background, I grew up very Christian. I grew up in Trinidad, the Caribbean, and I always tell people, and I use this as a statement all the time, when you want to have a good time, you go on a Caribbean cruise. So I'm from the Caribbean. So we grew up very jolly, very happy, you know, like 
you're on a cruise. So growing up in that culture, we lost everything. <laughs> you know, my forefathers came in the days of the British to the Caribbean. Um, they were brought from India. So some were Hindus, some were Christians, some were Muslims. They all came like that from India, Hindus, all different religions. And when they came to Trinidad, they grew up in what is called a melting pot. And therefore, uh, the, the, the generation that I grew up in in Trinidad, because you know, if you look at me right now, I know I look like 40 and still very sporty, but I'm really 62 years of age. All right. Right. So when you good man <laughs> said halal diet. Thank you. So when you when you hear me talk of the generation, you probably think I'm talking 20 years younger. So we grew up in a melting pot. There was no barriers with marriage. Rabbi could imagine that there was no barriers. Hindus would marry Christians. Christians marry Muslims. And they all just married and intermingled, and they mixed mingled and became single. So. <laughs> That's where my multicultural multi-faith came, and I had no barrier with people of other faiths. I grew up like that, different races, different cultures, because you'd also know that the British brought people, they were, you already had the, the British there, the white race, they went and brought Indian, they brought Africans from Africa before, and you got an island with people from all different countries. Anyhow, so we're not here to talk about that, <laughs> but um, that's where I got my, my, my interfaith, multicultural upbringing. So I lived it. I don't love interfaith because I've studied it. I love interfaith because I was born from interfaith, an interfaith family. Till now, I only mentioned it to a friend a couple of days ago, my, my, my mother's first cousin, first cousin, uh, my uncle, very close. He is the head of some big church and big seminary very high-tech, a lot of relatives who are cousins and pastors, etc. My father's sisters are still Hindus. You know what I mean? I have relatives. I, must have, I mentioned this on the show. We're here in America. They have married Jews, you know. And um, that's it. So I, that's my, my love for it, and I have realized it. However, I also got a scholarship to be a, a priest when I was studying because I studied in a British school, very strong Roman Catholic background kind of orthodox hardcore so i would have been a really hardcore priest here right now <laughs> there's still time it's still time yes. I'm, kidding. I'm kidding it's a joke just adding some love but in the in the process you know yes it, that's a whole different story and i don't want to waste the air time i want to say that again i ended up going some missionaries came from south africa and because they know my family history uh, my name was mohammed I had that family, Muslim family background, and that's why I got this scholarship to go to study Islam. So I went to study at one of the oldest and largest Islamic university in India. In those, uh, you know, that university was founded, it's over almost 200 years old. Um, and when, while studying and after studying, it became much more concrete in my mind how important interfaith is. And now, when we mention Islamophobia, I don't really support Islamophobia. Not that I don't agree with it and I don't like it, but I don't promote it. I'll tell you why. What am I saying? There are, there are some scholars who have seminars and lectures all about Islamophobia. And why I don't make that an issue? What I'm saying, I don't make an issue. I don't believe in making a mountain out of a mole. Why I don't believe that should be an issue? Because I think that's a natural cause. If you go back to the days of Moses, peace be upon him, when he started preaching the word of God, he had that phobia scenario. Everyone were against him. Pharaoh or Pharaoh and his entire people. It's, Islamophobia is a lack of education, a lack of understanding. So when Moses, peace be upon him, started preaching the God and the one God, Pharaoh was going crazy, and his people were all going mad. That's why you had all this, this war and wanted to kill him and all the Israelites. Who is this God that the Israelites are following and Moses is talking about? So that is similar like Islamophobia today. People don't know what is Islam, who are Muslims, what is Allah, who is Allah. As we were talking before, Allah means the none like him. 
the same God that we all believe in, the God that Jesus prayed to when Jesus prayed to his Father who art in heaven. Who is he speaking to? The same God of Moses, the same God of Abraham, the same God of Muhammad, peace be upon them all. So it's because of a lack of education that people say Islamophobia. So that's why I don't make it an issue. I believe in educating people. I love this kind of forum. When people educate themselves, then we understand it. When Jesus started preaching his love, everyone wanted to kill him. Why did they want to kill him? It was new to them. What is this he's preaching? What is this he's teaching? This love, this coming together. There were those people who hated him. But those who understood the message and those who loved him, and those who believed in him, they follow on. So he faced it. When Abraham, which is in the Bible, the Torah and the Psalms, when he started talking about God, they threw him in the fire. So all the prophets faced this. You know? So because Islam is a kind of new thing in the West, sort of new, um, a lot of people with this whole scenario of Islam Islamophobia. So that's why a lot of people ask me to get involved in Islamophobia projects. I'm like, I don't believe in making a mountain out of a mole. Let's educate people, let them understand that all prophets went through this, all people went through this. So, in the faith, and that's why I love in the faith, and I wanted to use that as an example. That's right. If other faiths and other faith leaders would come together as we come together, and understand the commonalities among ourselves. We have more commonalities than differences. Actually, the differences are basically theological differences. And if you go into Judaism, I have a lot of Judaism friends. You know, Rabbi, I went to an interfaith program once. So I had one Rabbi friend. Because um, I used to be the president of the, the, the Interfaith Council of Greater Hollywood. So all these rabbis and pastors and priests, we all together come to president. So I asked one rabbi, we went to a dinner, I said, Rabbi, is the food kosher? He said, this food here is not kosher. And we're in another synagogue, you know what I'm saying? So I said, what do you mean? Because I came and I'm going to eat this food. He said, well, I don't eat this kosher because this is kosher style. We have a different kosher. I'm like, oh, interesting. So the point I'm getting at, you have reform, you have orthodox, you got... So similarly, um, the differences among Christianity, Judaism, and uh, Islam, basically the three major faiths in the world, and we do interfaith with everybody else, uh, but because we are these three faiths here, it's not a matter of major differences, it's intellectual differences, just as you have differences in Christianity. Roman Catholic, Episcopal, uh, Seven Days, I mean, and long ago, that could have been a war. Right? Mm -hmm. In my interfaith experience, I know people from the Methodist Church will not go to the Presbyterian Church and Roman Catholics will not. But, you know, we have overcome this nowadays. We have overcome this. Similarly with Jews and Christians, you had a lot of barriers. We have overcome that. And I, I, I am a strong believer that the misunderstandings between uh, Islam and Judaism and Christianity, we will overcome it. We have been far already up and very soon, we'll bring down the walls and we'll all understand each other by education, by this kind of form. Yeah, it's a great point you said, instead of focusing on the, the problem, focus on the solution. So I yes. don't want to sit there and hold up a billboard for Islamophobia. Yeah. No, 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 I want to hold a billboard for education and engagement. Yes. And, and, and Islamophobia will just be a little, little, little mole that we run over. We, the mountain we want to build is engagement and, and learning and understanding of one another. Uh, and I found that interfaith work has definitely made me a, a better Christian and a, and a better follower of Jesus uh, for, for myself, as opposed to saying, nope, those are non-believers of Jesus Christ. I'm not following. I, I can't engage. I think that does a disservice to how do I grow more deeply into the love of God. Um, my relationship with, with Rabbi Durbin over the last five years has definitely made me, uh, a, a, I don't know what the term, right term is because I hate to use qualitative terms as being a Christian. We could say I, it, I, a better I, person, I get it. I, <laughs> uh, it, it, it but being a child of God, how about that? A more reflective child of God. Jesus himself so many times uses examples. And, and in the scripture, the Holy Scripture in the Bible, there's examples of look, look to the foreigner or the alien God saying, that's who I want you to act like, all right? He, he criticizes his own people and then says, 
You look to the Samaritan. The Samaritan is the one who, who is really doing the work. Um, so I have learned in a groaning now, Rabbi Durbin, if I'm struggling with Hebrew scripture that we call Old Testament, um, but if Hebrew scripture, I'm going to call Rabbi Durbin and say, man, you got to break this down for me because i got to preach this this weekend and I don't know what's going on. To get from the source, you know, um, opens it up. So if I stay limited to just, I'm just going to look at Christian scholars, I'm only going to talk to Christian theologians, that's where I'm going to get my information so I can now preach that word. I am limiting the amount of wisdom and how God can speak through all of us to help be a more effective preacher and teacher and pastor. Uh, and so I, I, do, do you, would you two agree with me that when now that your, 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 your circles are big and you're open to engaging with other faiths that has made you a stronger preacher, teacher, pastor in it? Or do you think it's watered down your ability to be the most effective Jewish rabbi you know, on the scene? No, because I think, I think as, as, as you said, look, the more we learn, and the, the more we grow, the more that I can learn about Islam, the more I can learn about Christianity. I mean, it, it opens up greater depth in conversation. Five years ago, before meeting you, I mean, look, I took, a, I took a course in rabbinical school on Islam. I took a course on Christianity. I mean, granted, the, the, the scope was Judaic, but at the end of the day, what, what, what it's shown me over the last few years is that I can have a healthy conversation with you, and now I'm beginning to understand the questions that I should be asking, as opposed to the pleasantries of, okay, these are the similarities, that we're not gonna go political, we're not gonna go into the hard questions, but you know what, we, we, we've engaged with that, and I think that that takes comfort. It also takes, um, you know, I think it'd be a very different conversation if charisma and chemistry were not there. Right? We have great chemistry, we have great charisma, there is something that says, yeah, I want to learn from you, and I have to be open enough to be able to use that in, in some way. And there's respect. Absolutely. There's respect. So if we want to talk about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, uh, we can have that conversation. Mm -hmm. Maybe not in year one, that probably sure. wasn't the best thing. But when you develop this relationship, then we can start to get into some real weighty topics with respect and with love, and also talk about our big differences, where I would feel like you will now challenge me on you guys following this Jesus And guy, I, I like the know? point you made about um, consulting the rabbi on some issue of Judaism or the Old Testament, etc. You'd be amazed that uh, because of the fact of Moses coming before Jesus, peace be upon him, and we all say peace be upon him when we mention the names of Moses, and Jesus, and Abraham, peace be upon them all. So even till today, if you go into the tafsir, what is called commentary of the Quran, the Muslim scholars will go back to the history of Judaism, Christianity, because the, the Moses and Jesus, peace be upon them, are all mentioned in the Quran. You know, it, it is mentioned, according to research, that Prophet Moses is mentioned in the Quran more than any other prophets. You got a chapter called chapter 19, and the name of that chapter is Maryam, the mother of Jesus. And the whole nine yards is mentioned about the family of Jesus, peace be upon him, and Maryam, and Zachariah, and the whole nine yards. So we, Islamic scholars, will go back in the scriptures and in the commentaries written by Jewish scholars and Christian scholars to elaborate in our commentary of the Quran because that's where we get it. It's a continuation. We believe that from Judaism, you had Jesus, peace be upon him, and then you had the, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, after that. So we got to go back. So much so that some people, they have said, well, Islam is a religion that was founded where Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, took the, the, the writings of Judaism and Christianity and formed Islam which is not so. Hmm. Islam, we believe, is a continuity of the Judaism, Christianity that was taught. Well, we don't really say it's Judaism or Christianity. We say the message. I just want to say that because, hmm. you know, the, otherwise then we will wonder why there's a difference with, between Judaism and Christianity or, and Islam. We say it was just a continuity and it continued from Abraham to all the prophets to Moses and Jesus, peace be upon him, and then it continued. So, interesting. Hmm. But not just that you talk to the rabbi, but we have to refer 
to the research done by rabbis and Christian sure. priests, etc., to elaborate on some of the issues because the Quran deliberately says those prophets that came before and the scriptures of the Bible, the Torah, and the Psalms, they're very authentic. They were revealed by God. The Quran came after. So what do we have to do? Refer back to those references. And you know what helps? You, you mentioned, Rabbi, uh, you mentioned charisma and uh, chemistry has helped a lot just in our engagement, especially when talking about our differences. Uh, and so I think a continuation of that, we could, the theology and what, how we learn from each other, all that's very good. I do think, though, at the end of the day, I think we genuinely, even though that you're a newer friend for us, I like you. I like you as a human being. Now, if you were, or if I was, a jerk, this interface stuff might not go as well planned, yeah. right? So just <laughs> like by that. being a good human being and having uh, the chemistry... Is, 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 I mean, that's why we had you on the show twice. We, wanted, we talked about now expanding the show to have you on there. So, so this idea of chemistry and uh, um, charisma, but I think the third thing is character, of having good character, those three Cs, allows for interfaith work to well, because there's going to come a point, let's, let's, let's not uh, sugarcoat the truth. There are major differences, though, too. Uh, there are major differences just as Christians about how we view the Messiah and who Jesus Christ is. Uh, and so, yes, we're not denying that. Um, what will be the leading fact of it, though, is that you're my neighbor, and I love you dearly. You're my neighbor, and I also like you. You're, you're my friend. I'm going to call you at 2 in the morning if I need you to pick me up for some struggles. Um, and, and I want to develop that with you as well. So when we have that relationship as neighbors, when we get into the gritty stuff, and it might be getting a little tense, I can say, okay, hold up. Let's just, I care more about my relationship with you, Sheikh, mm -hmm. than trying to conquer one another or really starting to get into some struggles with how we view a big theological point of view. Um, I mean, would, would you guys agree with that? I know that's with us, you and, you and I, because we're not afraid to go into heavy conversations. Our relationship has always come first, uh, as opposed to... But I think that that's... I, mean, I, I think part of it is also a comfort level. It, it, it is also being... I mean, look, I, I sit here today as a, a, a Jewish American that is very strong in my faith. I can have those tough conversations because of, of the comfort level. I mean, I think part of it also, too, is language. And I just want to pick up because I, I know, Sheikh, you, you had said a phrase that I'm sure is, is, is very familiar, right? Peace be upon him, right? We all share the same words. Whether I say Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, in very traditional circles, as I'm sure many have probably heard the words, uh, Baruch Hashem, blessed be the name, right? referring to the name of God. Mm -hmm. You refer in terms of, right? <laughs> May my blessings be upon Jesus, right? Allah, right? Muhammad, all of those things, it's about giving authority and certainly giving our respect towards our tradition. And I think words, as I'm sure all of us are aware, words have meaning. And they have great meaning. And I think we have to be very cautious of the way that we speak. But again, I think even if you and I were offline and nobody was in this room, and you and I were to, uh, let's just talk uh, uh, family dynamics, right? We'd be able to have a very, mm. a, a, a great conversation of learning from one another. But that takes work, that takes time, yeah. it takes mutual respect. And it also says, you know what? I'm going to get into uncomfortable situations. We've had these conversations before, right? But what it does say is I'm not trying to mitigate or, or minimize your experience. I'm just trying to, I'm trying for one to understand where perhaps my mindset is. And I may be struggling with, I mean, look, I'll use a classic example, right? And I only say this, uh, 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 right? The Jesus issue. <laughs> Right? As Jews, I do have a hard time with it. I, in no way have I ever negated Jesus was born a Jew. We know that. We know he was a rabbi. We know that he was talking about the corruption that was going on amongst the priesthood. We know that those things exist. Yet I struggle with theological, and shake as you said, theological glaring differences that make us who we are. I'm not going to kowtow to someone else just to placate a situation. Hmm. I want others to understand this is, and look, I, in no way am I the spokesperson for Judaism. 
I feel like I can be the spokesperson for Reform Judaism, or certainly the spokesperson for my congregation. But, Sheikh, as you said, right, there are multifaceted different opportunities for us to learn from one another. Christianity, 55,000 different denominations of Christianity. Judaism, give or take, I'd say three, you could say four, right? And I'm gonna do it in order of centralized movement, just so that we're all clear. Reform came first, as a reaction to us, orthodoxy. Then came conservative Judaism. And then, in some way, we have Reconstructionists. So we have four major movements of our own. With Islam, right, I'm sure you can probably tell better than me, but you have Sunni, Shiite Islam, right? You have different strands of, of, of Islam. And I think that what it is saying is, let's learn about it so that we can make informed choices for ourselves, but not to negate someone else's faith, but to learn from it. But when you challenge me and you talk about the Jesus issue, and I have to explain to you about why the cross is so important to us, it has been helpful to me. I have to, I have to put it in language. I'm not speaking to my congregation who get the whole Jesus narrative. I'm talking to a Jew who doesn't believe and then a Jew that I, I love as my brother. And so how do I explain this in a way that makes sense and still have you be like, nah, I'm not going to buy it, right? And so, so it helps me ground myself in why am I a Christian? Why do I believe in the cross? Jesus died for my sins, the, whole, the, whole, you know, the resurrection, knowing that you're over there on the other side being like, no, right? But it helps, it does, so you, in a way, assist me in becoming more deeply rooted in children. my faith. Children help. Children? No, 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 and, and I don't say this, I don't say this like jokingly. Think about a young child. They're born into this world. They're given whatever family that we, you know, right, that they have. But it's, it's the parent's responsibility and obligation to inform that child of what they are to or not to believe, right? When I teach my kids, beyond my 10 and a half year old or my eight year old, I teach my five year old. And I have to use language that she can understand. I have to treat it as if she has nothing. This is why we believe, right? I've had many conversations with my oldest about you know, the challenges between Christianity and, and, and Judaism. Well, Dad, I don't understand. If, if this man died for the sins of all humanity, aren't we held accountable for our own sins and our own actions? I mean, she asked really great questions. And a part of me says, you know what? Stop talking to me about it. Yeah. Here's the phone. I'm calling Christian Reverend Anderson right now. You ask him. No, but I joke with that. But you know what? And I can see in the eyes of a 10 and a half year old this, this light bulb that says, you know what? Maybe I will. Because she's, you know, I, I think we all go through moments of struggle and in some way of saying, just because we have the information does not give us permission. And I think that there's something there that says, if I'm in doubt, look, I'm not going to go back to my course in Christianity of Karen Armstrong. I'm going to call you. I'm going to call the Catholic priest. If I have challenges with Islam of not being aware, I mean, sure, I can read. I can look at scholarly material. But I also want to call Sheikh to be able to say, I'm really struggling with this. What has your experience with this been like? And I think, I think when you use the three C's of character, charisma, and chemistry, that it, it works in a context like that if all three are willing to engage and understand the other side. It's not that I'm trying to upshow you or tell you how much I know. It's, I, 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 these are the gaps in my experience because I haven't been born with it. I don't know it. Sure. And I love what you said too, which is, you know, I preach this to my community. They know from start to finish, they know the whole Jesus saga. We, we get it. But then for you to say, sometimes I need to take that language and be able to use it as if the person I'm talking has no knowledge of what I'm speaking about. I exactly. have to use it in layman's terms. Exactly. Sheikh, I got to ask you this. You were just mentioning this before, Rabbi Durbin. Uh, we, we call each other to understand more about each other. We might have misconceptions. There's so many misconceptions. And I will have to say, you mentioned this, that Islam in the West, there's, there, there's still a lot of misconceptions. So there's the part of the, so important about the education and the work that you all do is education, educating folks. And what would you say that would be... Just, just let's start out with one. What would be like the, the, one of the biggest misunderstandings or misconceptions about Islam 
uh, that, that, that comes up a lot in, uh, in your engagement of interfaith work? Um, well, before I answer that question, based on the conversation that was going on, I love a lot of humor. So when I walked in this hall and I met Father Anderson, I looked up at him and I'm like, there's very few people I look up at. How tall are you? Because I'm 6'1", and then he said, he's 6'6". So Rabbi, I have no choice but to work in coordination with him. <laughs> Anyhow, but um, beautiful. You know, not only do we, um, do I believe and Islam believes that we need to work together, but the Quran commands us. Interesting, it's not only my, my idea or people's idea in chapter 3, verse 64, uh, the Quran says, meaning that we must invite others to speak on areas of commonalities. We are commanded to do that. You see why I said that I don't waste time on Islamophobia? Because I believe in we're working on areas of commonalities. And um, so it's, it's, it's a command. And Muslims who don't do that, I have a problem with that. I'm like, why don't you guys do that? You don't have to wait on some disaster, calam calamities to work with people of different faiths, you know what I mean? Well, the question you ask about what, you know, uh, that's a difficult question because there are so many things that people have a problem with with Islam nowadays. People have a problem with women issues, women oppressed, people have a problem with jihad issues, they believe Muslims are all about holy war, people have a problem about, um, you know, this kind of dictatorship. So, but these, again, are all misunderstanding. Little do you know, I tell people that women in Islam got so many rights. And I think women is a big issue because women all over the world is a big issue. <laughs> They're a major issue of the world. They are out there, the greatest numbers. They are in big numbers. They are very educated. They're very intellectual. So the question always comes down in Islam that Islam oppressed women. And I once went into a Roman Catholic college to give a lecture. The first question the, 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 the college students asked me, they were like, why are you women, your Muslim women oppressed? They have a covered. So I was confused. So then I said, um, I saw Mother Mary oppressed outside. They said, what do you mean? I said, I saw her covered. And they were like, oh, I see you got the answer. I said, Mother Mary is dressed just like a Muslim. Like a nun. You see what I'm saying? The face open, the wrist open. She said, what am I trying to tell you? It's just your lack of knowledge of what Islam is. The Abrahamic faith, the Orthodox, that was their dress code. We're adjusting the same thing. You go and see the Ten Commandments, you look at biblical movies. That's what you see. But from the misconception about women being oppressed, you'll be amazed to know that women have more rights in Islam than men. Women have more rights in Islam than, than men. And, you know, finance speaks, you know, money talks and everything else walks. In Islam, a woman, she inherits property from her father as a daughter. She has rights to inherit his property. Inheritor, when she becomes a wife, she has the rights to inherit property. It's under the laws of inheritance from her husband. When she becomes a mother, she has rights to inherit property from her son. When she becomes a grandmother, she has rights to inherit property from her grandson. So she earns and she owns all the way, and the man loses all the time. So she has more rights. And if a woman has more rights financially in Islam, that speaks volumes. Do you really think if, I, if, if, we, if we had a, a, a female a Muslim up here, she would agree with everything you're saying? Of course she has no choice because we, <laughs> do you know, do you know, do you know, uh, Reverend uh, Father Christian, when a if a woman, a man and a woman gets married, the wife does not have to share her wealth and her property. If a wife works, the law in Islam, she does not have to pay the house loan. She does not have to share with the car bills. What is hers is hers, and what is his is hers. Is some of the, <laughs> like that too, the oppression that we might see in, 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 in the global news have to deal more with political landscapes and how countries are run, or is it, do you think it's religious? Because, you know, we... That's a good point, political. This misconception about Islam all came about the political issues, how people run in Muslim countries, what they do in, in the East, the Far East, the Middle East. It was all about politically, it was all about the politics, the 
how they politically run the, the show and they mix the culture and they tarnish the teachings of Islam. And so therefore, these misconceptions were just because of the political, the, the leaders and the culture. But when it comes to Islam, woman is the big issue, and I always talk mm. about that. Woman, is, a woman has so much, so much rights in Islam that it's amazing. Some men in Islam say they, be, they prefer to be born a woman when they come back because they got more rights as a woman. Wait, Everything. Is that, what, so is there, is there a re, re, that? No, we don't saying, believe in reincarnation. Re, just saying, but I'm okay, just kidding. Okay. Because a woman got all the rights in Islam, it's amazing to know. And, and we, I'm like, wow. When you get married, you got to, you know, in Islam, before you get married, that's when you got to make sure you give your wife a certain amount of a property. You could give her your house. You don't just, you don't just drive around a Ferrari and a Lamborghini and say, this is who I am. She could demand that on the day of the wedding and say, I want that. And she doesn't take it at a divorce. She takes it before you get married to her. You don't have to divorce her before she earns what you have. You got you to give her that before. She has a choice not to take it, not to ask for it, but she has a choice to demand it. Otherwise, the marriage is not valid. Very interesting in a woman's rights and property and earnings. But that's a big misconception. The other things are very cultural. I don't know. Like, what, what were you referring to? Like, what are issues? No, well, there's a lot, and I could see where, when we, we will revisit this, um, this, this gathering, and we can go into more into the trenches. I want it today to be much more of just kind of a broad stroke. Um, so let's, let's end on this before we go to a Q&A, is just to, to leave everyone with this, just get back to the, to, to the unity and what binds us. And literally and biblically what binds us is, is Abraham, and what binds us is, is God. So if I, I'm Lebanese, I go to a Maronite Catholic church, they're praying to Allah. Right? In Arabic, they're going to say Allah. I was like, oh, oh, it's all the same. That was a big epiphany for me. Right? It's, so, and then, and, and then we, so we see that Abraham is we're, we're Yahweh, God. So we, we have that, right, um, that, that binds us. But just the Abrahamic, can you just give us a, a quick Twitter biblical lesson on just how, how we see that as Christians, Jews, and Muslims, our family tree of Abraham? And I know it can change because sometimes in the Quran, and in the Bible, there might be some, some different names used, but just a general, real broad stroke on why do we all come from Abraham? I want to put that on you, Rabbi. Why we come from Abraham or how? How does that work biblically? So what is it? So we got Abraham, right, the patriarch, and then from Abraham, and then go from there, just you give us a little guide on the family tree. So, so you got Judaism, yeah. then let you me, got let Islam, and then you got Christianity. I mean, the easiest way to do it is, is look, you've got Abraham and Sarah, they have, or I shouldn't even say Abraham and Sarah, you have Abraham, okay? Um, and there's a reason I retracted that statement. You got Abraham. Abraham has um, how many wives? Three, okay? Seemingly we can reduce the three down to two. Yeah. His first wife, Hagar, right? Hagar, maidservant, Egyptian maidservant, given to Abraham, right? In Hebrew, the word Hagar Ha, the, ger, stranger, the stranger. So you've got Abraham, Hagar, and Ishmael. I'm going to leave that, respectively, to shape. Abraham has Sarah. Sarah, of course, granted Isaac. Isaac then has Rebekah. So then the Isaac and Rebekah bloodline, Jacob and Esau. Jacob then takes for himself not one, not two, not three, four wives, at least that we're aware of, right? Rachel, Leah, Bilhah, and Zilpah, right? They have a whole mess of children, right? Twelve sons and a daughter, Dina, right? From there, of course, then we get the whole saga with the Joseph saga and everything else. And that's where it really stops, right? Because then when we get to Exodus, we get the Moses story. So, but from a, a, a lineage from a Judaic lineage, you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's where our bloodline goes. But I think it's also important to recognize what happens before Abraham, which is why, as Jews and of Western faith, that we say that there is one God. We have in Judaism what we call Midrash. These are stories that the rabbis created 2,000 some odd years ago. You got 90 seconds. To fill in the biblical gaps. The story goes very simply. Abraham's father was a man named Terach. Terach was an idol maker. He made idols. And the story goes that one day Abraham went away, sorry, Abraham's father went away, 
probably to get some really unhealthy, greasy, nasty shawarma, right? <laughs> you can tell where my appetite lies. Um, anyway, and Abraham sees all these idols. So he takes a hammer and he smashes every single idol with the exception of the largest idol and places the hammer in his hand. So Abraham's father, Terah, comes back home and says, Abraham, what have you done? And he goes, Father, it wasn't me. Abraham's father goes, what are you, silly? Of course it was. And he goes, no, Father, for you see that large idol there got very jealous of all the other idols and smashed it. And Abraham's father says, but Abraham, that's impossible. And Abraham says, listen to what you just said, Father. You fashion idols for other people to worship when there is only one God. That is where, at least in the Judaic context, our story begins with Abraham, the father of monotheism. And I would argue that Abraham not only is the father of monotheism, but Abraham becomes the father of ethical monotheism, the belief in one God through our actions and our deeds that are meritorious in some way that give us meaning and give us purpose. On that note, Rabbi Durbin, I wish you had, you have a lav, you don't have a hand mic, so you can't <laughs> drop the lav. Um, we are going to, um, listen, we, we will do this absolutely again, but we all know we can always find Rabbi Durbin at Temple Beth Chayam in Stewart, Florida. You can always find Sheikh Shafayat at Al Hikamat Services. Um, and, the, and I love to drive up here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I love to drive. Yeah. If you want to host the next one, we'll come to you. No or problem. Or we'll keep on doing it here, whatever you like. Um, we have, uh, so we're going we're gonna to end this part of it and uh, be back to hear about the Islamic bloodline. We heard the Judaic bloodline. Oh, okay. So, uh, but for the sake of the radio, because we're under radio time, we'll have to do that after the radio. Okay, so for that matter, everyone, God bless you. Thank you. We'll see you next Friday here on a priest and a rabbi <laughs> and a sheikh. Uh, for the next radio share, radio show here on WSTU 1450. God bless you.